0: All right. I love both of those songs. So good. I just think about those who aren't familiar with the gospel, how foolish it must sound that we stake our whole eternity on someone else's life and death. How 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 much we like to maintain control over our life and we would Wouldn't we want to control our eternal state, but yet we just confess that our whole eternity rests on someone else's life, someone else's death. How strange that must sound to the unbeliever. And what a great opportunity for us to share the gospel and to glorify the manifold wisdom of God uh, in the justification of sinners. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're looking at justification. Last week we talked about regeneration, that work of grace by which God gives us a new heart. uh, We're born again. This week we're looking at justification. And this little series, I guess, um, in our statement of faith on salvation, uh, theologians refer to this as the ordo salutis, uh, which means the order of salvation. And so we're looking at different aspects um, of our salvation, understanding how they work together. Um, Whenever we talk about these things and we spend a week on each one, I always want to caution people not to separate them. Just because we break them off into different weeks so that we can uh, study them in depth doesn't mean that they work apart from one another. And so all of this ordo salutis, this is all God's working of salvation and redeeming a people for himself to glorify his own name. This is all uh, one working of God and we're looking at different aspects of them and we're looking at them um, one at a time so that we can understand and appreciate them even more. And so this week is justification. Um, if you received the Baptist faith and message when you came in the door, or maybe you're keeping one week to week, um, go ahead and get that out. We're looking at the section on salvation. Um, if you don't have a paper copy, uh, we might have some around, or you can just pull up on your phone, perimeterroadcom about what dash we dash believe. Or you can just look at the what we believe page on our website. It's an easier way to say that. Um, So you can pull that up there as well. But this is what the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says about justification. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. All right, so that's just two sentences There, two sentences, a lot of words, but two sentences. And so we're going to break these sentences down tonight. And the way we're going to do this, I hope, is instructive on uh, multiple levels. Um, What I hope this does as well is teaches you um, how to study theology and how to study uh, propositional truth. Um, And this is handy in Bible study, so maybe you're reading the book of Romans. It's a very propositional um, statement where Paul is making an argument in the book of Romans. And so uh, maybe seeing how we break this down tonight will help you study the book of Romans um, or any theology um, text. And so what's important when you're studying propositional truth is how different propositions or statements, really, um, how they relate to one another. That's the key to getting the understanding from the text. And so we're gonna break down this very wordy first sentence here um, with a fun color code. Um, And so uh, they didn't really teach us sentence diagramming in Charlton County. I don't know about where y'all went to school. Uh, I don't know if that's like dying art, but I've seen this strange thing called sentence diagramming. This makes more sense for a redneck like me, um, the color code and put things in bold. And so what I've done here is I've taken out the key words in the sentence, the heart, the meat of the the text, and put it in bold. And so let's read it like this. Justification is God's acquittal of sinners. Isn't that a lot easier? Doesn't that make sense? Justification is God's, almost messed up, God's acquittal of sinners. And then what I did is I've grouped in colors uh, those phrases that modify the key words. And so in red, we have acquittal. And then we've got gracious and full is modifying acquittal. What type of acquittal? And then upon principles of his righteousness is also modifying acquittal. How is this acquittal done? And then of, is just of, I don't know what that's called. Um, and then sinners is in green. And so we've got all is modifying sinners. And then the last phrase, who repent and believe in Christ is modifying sinners. And so I hope that that helps you break down this very wordy sentence into uh, the proposition so that we can understand it. And so the rest of the night, we're just going to chew on this uh, one color at a time, like a bag of Skittles. (laughs) All right. So the first word, acquittal. If you're not a lawyer and you don't watch law and order, acquittal means a judgment that a person is not guilty of the crime with which the person has been charged. A judgment that a person is not guilty of the crime with which the person has been charged. So there's a few things about this. Acquittal presupposes that there, in fact, is a crime with which we have been charged. And this crime would be what we call sin. And the crime, as R.C. Sproul puts it, is cosmic treason. The crime that we're all guilty of is cosmic treason. And what is the penalty for treason? It's death. And we have committed treason. We have rebelled against the, the king, the sovereign of the universe. And we have rebelled against his kingship. And therefore, we are charged with the crime of cosmic treason. But what justification is, is God's acquittal, his judgment of not guilty on us. And so that leads us to the first couple uh, modifiers. So, this acquittal, there's three things that this statement says about it. First, that it is gracious. It's a gracious, which means we do not deserve this judgment. We do not deserve it. In fact, we are guilty as charged. Romans 3.23, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are guilty as charged. Yet, in order to manifest the the glory of His grace, God has seen fit to justify, to acquit, those who are guilty. The second thing we see is that it is full It's a full acquittal. And this is good news because that means there's no remaining guilt to pay off. It's not like Jesus forgave 90% of our sins and we've got to pay off the last 10. That means that there are no acts of penance or charity that we need to do in order to make ourselves right with God. And how, do we, how does this manifest itself in our lives? When we sin, we feel like we've got to go like put a, a, a jacket down over a puddle for an old lady, right? We've got to do something good to make up for our sin. And what that, in effect, is saying is that God's judgment of not guilty wasn't full. It was just partial, and we've got to make up the rest. We've got to do our time. And that's not what we believe. There's also no need for us to go to a place uh, called purgatory where uh, the remaining aspects of sin in our life would be purged from us and made uh, pure before we could go into heaven because God's judgment is fully not guilty. So there's a gracious and full acquittal. And then this last phrase, It's a little confusing, I'll admit, upon principles of his righteousness. This is the phrase that um, I stumble over trying to read this sentence. This doesn't flow. But what does this mean? I think it's helpful to understand some of the background and some of the the controversy, um, to understand why this is here. But what this essentially means is that God himself is the standard for justice and righteousness. So, Uh, The controversy is, is we're saying that we are guilty as charged, right? Didn't we just admit that? But now we're saying that God has judged us not guilty. So do you see where this leads? This leads that God would be an unjust judge. He'd be unrighteous. Like even our human judges can most of the time get the, uh, the ruling correct. But now we're saying that God got it wrong. That he's calling us just when in fact we're unjust. And so that is the charged. But what we see in Scripture is that God, according to his own wise counsel, is satisfied to accept a substitute. And so what we do is we submit to divine revelation. God has told us Himself and what His standard of righteousness is. And so whenever we, a, whenever a human being, a creature, wants to Question God and the justice of God in something that he has clearly revealed in his revealed will. Then what you have done is elevated yourself to the seat of judge above God. And that's a fearful place to be. To be in the seat judging God. You know, it demands one of those divine backhands, who are you, O man, to question God. That, in effect, is what you're doing when you're countering what is clearly revealed in Scripture by saying that isn't right. By whose standard is it not right? Because if you appeal to any standard other than God's standard, you're appealing to a lesser standard. God is the ultimate standard of righteousness. Righteousness and justice is according to his eternal character. So, therefore, God acquits sinners upon principles of his righteousness. And boy, are we thankful for that. Are we thankful that God, according to his own wise counsel, is satisfied to accept a substitute? Because we would be doomed if he wouldn't. In fact, if you'll turn to Romans 3, and here's where I'm going to show you where where God um, even goes to lengths in the Scripture to make this argument that he indeed is just in doing this. And this is a passage that we will read um, together Sunday Um, as well. Romans 3, starting in verse um, 21. It's on page 941, if you're looking in a pew Bible. 941. But it says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. See, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Check this out. This was to show God's righteousness. God sent Jesus to show his righteousness, not all in spite of his righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance or patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so there's a whole paragraph in Scripture right here where God says, yes, this is righteous. In fact, I've designed salvation to work this way to show my righteousness, not uh, in spite of my righteousness. So that's the acquittal. That is our full and gracious acquittal upon principles of his righteousness. The next thing is sinners. Sinners. And the first word modifying sinners is all. So all sinners. And so what this is meaning is that the invitation to justification is open to all. This is what we call the general call of the gospel, right? That, that the atonement of Jesus Christ, that propitiation whom God put forth, is sufficient to atone for the sins of the world, right? That's what we see in 1 John he's the propitiation of the world. Now, If we leave this in isolation, what that means is if God has justified all sinners, then what does that mean? That all sinners are justified. (laughs) That everyone is going to heaven because they've been justified by this propitiation. If Jesus is the propitiation of the world, meaning every single person in that world, then that means that there's no need for hell because there is no more wrath because Jesus has borne the wrath and he every person has been acquitted. But that's not what, what it's saying. So that's why the next phrase is here. The next phrase is all who repent and believe in Christ. And so here's the next half of that phrase where the atonement of Jesus is sufficient to save all, but efficient for those who believe. So it, it works for those who believe. So sufficient. For the world elect I'm, I'm sorry, uh, efficient for the elect, for those who believe and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So that means only those who repent and believe will be justified. And so that, that means that there is a very real reality of hell, because there is very real crimes that are still on the table because they haven't been fully cleared because they haven't been placed upon Jesus Christ. And so this is our response to the universalists who would say that because Jesus was the atonement for the world, all are justified. But we appeal to the text that that said that this righteousness of God is on faith, is received by faith. And so if there is no uh, faith that is receiving this gift of justification, then uh, there is no justification. It hasn't been applied to you or delivered to you. So that is very real. But for those of us who do believe, Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this, and I feel like I I read this passage every time I speak, but um, I'm gonna probably do it next time because it's just that good. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, there's your regeneration, having forgiven us all our trespasses, there's our justification, And how did he do that? How did he forgive us? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So how did he do that? This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. So the the imagery is here is that all of our sin, all of the debt that we owed with its legal demands, meaning its uh, demand that we be executed All of that was laid upon Jesus and nailed to the cross. And that's how he canceled the record of our debt. That's how we've been acquitted. And that's how we can be uh, found not guilty and be justified. It's good news. This is the gospel. And the response to this, what happens after we're justified, the result of our justification maybe a better way of saying that, is that justification brings the believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. Now, this is a lot easier sentence. Didn't have to color code it. But it's the glorious truth. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So two things I want us to see here in this passage from Romans five. The first is kind of a tangent sidebar, but I think it's important. Notice how closely related the ordo salutis is. So notice how closely related regeneration is to justification, right? Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, verse one. And then we have this confidence and this peace, right? And then verse five, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Is there a regeneration? Notice how closely these are related and how these are gathered. This is how God has crafted and designed salvation. It's a beautiful thing. But the second thing I want us to see is is on the main road. And that is that we have peace with God once we're justified. Because everything that may God look upon us with a frowning face of wrath and anger toward us has been set aside been nailed to the cross. It has been canceled. It's been forgiven. It's no longer there. And when that's the case, your relationship to God is only one of favor and love. And what that does is it, it makes us not just endure sufferings in this world, but we rejoice in our sufferings because, catch this, because we're in a relationship, a favorable relationship with God, we know that whatever we face is from his gracious, loving hand and from a position of favor towards us so that we know in our sufferings, in our trials, that God is producing something in us because he loves us and because we have peace with him and because he favors us like a child. This is justification on the ground. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we take what we know in our head, we, we filter it through our hearts, and then we we run it through our feet and we live in light of the, the theology of justification that we know. So if we want to summarize what we believe about justification, and we understand that we have been declared not guilty, but the question still is in the back of our minds, but what about that sin? What about, how can God just clear us? How does he see this? How does this all work? I know of my condition. Martin Luther knew this condition as well. In the Reformation, he had this phrase that really irritated his critics. It was this, symbol, justus et peccator. Latin, again, my wife's Latino, yes. but... Simul justice et peccator, simultaneously just and sinner. That summarizes the Christian life right there. That we are sinners, we know that we're sinners, but at the same time, we are just. And that irritated his critics. And that irritates liberal Protestants today. It goes back to the controversy that we talked about earlier. Is they accuse us, when we say, simul justice et peccator, they accuse us of calling God a liar that he looks at a sinner and calls him just. God is lying, if that's true. And so, I think the next slide, Andrew, will explain how we're all feeling in light of that. I've got pictures in my slides this week. (laughs) It's probably because I made them at about midnight last night after binge watching haters back off on Netflix. So uh, I was a little uh, hyper. But seriously, but like how? How can we be just and sinner at the same time? And this is the doctrine of justification by faith via imputation. So we've heard this word a lot um, recently as we're going through the book of Galatians. And it's very important. We hold to, as Protestants, as Baptists, you can change that slide, Andrew. Um, We hold to a doctrine of justification via imputation. It's easier to understand this doctrine when we compare it to its uh, counter, uh, which is justification by faith and works via infusion. And and Brian preached a whole message pretty much on this back earlier in the Galatians series, if you want to search for that. Um, But but here's an illustration to help you understand infusion. So I don't know if you've seen these little bottles. They're like water bottles. There's a picture on the next slide. They're water bottles, and they've got a little holder in the center where you put fruits or mint or some sort of something that flavors the water, right? The flavor of the fruit infuses into the water. I don't know why you can't just use a regular bottle and just put fruit in it, but this is how they are. Um, And so basically, if we think of justification as us being the bottles, right? And that strawberry being righteousness. The doctrine of infusion that the Roman Catholic Church teaches is that through the sacraments, God places strawberries into our cup, okay? He puts strawberries into our cup, but then justification happens on the basis of us actually tasting like strawberry. So the righteousness that God puts into our lives through the sacraments uh, begins seeping into us. And then he justifies us. He looks at us and says, hey, you, I'm gonna justify you because you taste like strawberry. You have righteousness in you. Now, we can still say that's grace because God is the one who put the strawberries in the cups to begin with, right? He, he ordained the sacraments and then we did, we did it all that way. But here's the key point. God is justifying us because we taste like strawberry. Now, the next slide, we're going to look at imputation. And here's the reality. Imputation. First off, we're not just a clear, pretty, nice cup of water. We're a moldy, nasty mess. That's us on the left. Scripture says that even our best works, our righteousness that we have to boast on, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Or I'm going to paraphrase and say a nasty cup of juice. That is us. But then God justifies us out of pure grace. And he says, you know what? I'm going to display the wonder of my mercy by justifying this wretched sinner not because he tastes like strawberry, but because of a whole nother glass. And, and this, and this, and this, glass, pure strawberry, pure strawberries. And I'm going to count his strawberryness, his righteousness, as that sinner's righteousness, and therefore acquit him, find him fully righteous. So not only do we, so what we get in in justification is not just a watered down strawberry flavor. We get that delicious looking drink on the right. We get the righteous, the very righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is ours. We have complete, total claim to it because God has said so. And he has promised and he has done this to display the wonders of his grace. So hopefully this little illustration has taken these big words, imputation and infusion, and brought some clarity um, to your understanding. So as we wind down, the first thing I want to point out is the weakness, one weakness I think is in this statement is that there is no explicit mentioning of sola fide, that faith is the sole instrument of justification. And the reason I think this is, is, is dangerous and why I, would, I really wish it was there is because in this age, if you're watching the news and reading Christian blogs or anything like this, you know that there are growing calls for ecumenism which is basically go along to get along. Let's all be together. Let's all come back together as Christians. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Basically, as long as you just believe that Jesus is real and God is God and very shallow theology, then we can all get along. Even if you preach a different gospel, So they're calling for Protestants to reunite with the church of Rome, um, calling for Christians to, to consider themselves equal with Mormons and all these things, these growing calls for ecumenism. I think it's important that we stand upon the article upon which the church stands or falls, what Martin Luther said, is justification by faith alone. It is the gospel. And therefore, if you preach another gospel, what we learn about in Galatians, there is no other gospel, let them be accursed. And so I really wish that was there. And check this out. This is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary Abstract of Principles. This was written in 1859. So I believe this is the first Southern Baptist kind of statement of faith. Uh, This is the OG, the original. Um, And you can see that this is the Baptist faith and message has kind of evolved from this. Here's what it says. It says, justification is God's gracious and full acquittal of sinners. Sounds familiar, right? Who believe in Christ from all sin through the satisfaction that Christ has made, not for anything wrought in them, meaning worked in them, or done by them, but on account of the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith. It's like, boom, like, I, why do we ever change that? You know, that's good. Um, but there it is right there, that there's nothing wrought in us or done by us, but it's only on account of the obedience meaning the righteousness of Christ, that act of obedience, him keeping the law for us, and the satisfaction, him paying our debt, him dying for our sins. That is what our justification is is built upon. It's all in Christ. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. Luther called this an alien righteousness. So this is the idea that our since we have an imputed righteousness, right? Our righteousness is not within us, it's outside of us. It's a righteousness instilled from without. And here is the good thing about that. If my righteousness was an infused righteousness, if it was something in me, I would mess that up as soon as you batted your eye. Like I would totally lose it. You would too. We could totally mess it up. And our circumstances change, we would lose our standing before God and it would be an endless cycle of justification. But if our righteousness is outside of ourselves, in fact, if it's in Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ain't nobody touching our righteousness. It's not going anywhere. It is secure and firm and solid. It's a place to cast our anchor and we have confidence that we will be perfectly glorified. We will be perfectly justified by God we have nothing to fear because our righteousness is in Christ. Luther said, in light of this, he said, "Therefore a man can, with confidence, boast in Christ and say, "Mine are Christ's living, doing and speaking, His suffering and dying, mine as much as if I had lived, done, spoken, suffered and died as he did." And so Sunday, whenever we sing) um, before the throne of God above. The last verse, I want you guys to sing your lungs out because it says this. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless, my perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die because my life Sorry, my soul was purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Well, that gives chill bumps because it's unshakable. (laughs) We're united to the great unchangeable I am. His righteousness is ours. We have every claim to that. We don't need to feel ashamed of that, because guess what? When we glory in that, when we boast in our righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ, what does that do? That glorifies God, because God is most glorified in the justification of sinners. That's how he's pleased. He's designed the whole world to revolve around this message. You know what the angels find fascinating? Like they're sitting around in heaven, right? They, they could be like checking out the gold uh, streets and all that jazz, but what are they most excited about? The gospel message. It says the angels long to look into it, the revelation of the wisdom of God in the gospel. It's such a certain future we have. Romans eight thirty. We'll read this to close. It says, those whom he predestined, this is the golden chain of salvation. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so we'll talk about glorification in a couple weeks, but uh, uh, spoiler alert, that's in the future. But Paul says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Why is that? Because our righteousness is so secure in Jesus Christ that we can speak of our final glorification, our final justification, as if it is something that has already happened. Because it is rooted in the surety of the promises of God and the work of Jesus Christ and his unchanging nature. So with that, press on. Press on. You can't mess it up. If you you mess up, get up. Because Christ has already covered that. Press on. So I'm going to pray for us and then uh, Pastor Brian's going to come up and lead us in our uh, family prayer time. Lord, our only right we have to come before you is in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. We're so thankful for that. Lord, help us to always be mindful of that just the, the amazing reality that you, know, you view us as completely and fully not guilty. And more than that, you view us as treasured sons and daughters, those whom you've lavished your love upon. Lord, you, we pray that this article, this article of justification becomes the, the pulse of this local church that you would motivate us to mission by the amazing reality of the justification of sinners. Lord, and may we just be, take the fullness of pleasure in just mining the riches of your wisdom and salvation and redemption. Lord, we pray that you would use us as your ambassadors to go and offer this full acquittal to the world. And Lord, may you be glorified in the preaching of the gospel.